Hi, this is Donna Bear-Stein, publisher of Teferit Journal and your host for tonight's Teferit Talk interview. I'm very pleased to welcome novelist Betsy Woodman. Betsy is the author of three novels published in the U.S. by Henry Holton Company. Her books are Jana Bibby's Excellent Fortunes, Love Potion Number 10, A Jana Bibby Adventure, and most recently, Emeralds Included. Betsy spent 10 childhood years in India, studied in France, Zambia, and the United States, and now lives in her native New Hampshire. She was a writer and editor for the award-winning documentary series Experiencing War, produced for the Library of Congress and aired on Public Radio International. Please join me in welcoming Betsy Woodman. Betsy, thank you for being with me tonight. Um, I think the last time you and I saw each other in person was in Sally Brady's house in Bedford, Mass. I'm sure that um, was it, right? Well, thank you for having me, Donna. I'm really delighted to be on your show. Well, it's so it's so great to have you here, and and I, I I mentioned to you that I have just so loved your novels, and have been um, both entertained by them and also encouraged by them um, that that you worked on these, especially the first one for some time, and that it morphed through different versions and then got out into the world and got a three book contract, and the books are fabulous. So. Maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about um, these books, which are set in India in 1962 and, and have a fascinating main character. I'll let you tell us about Jana Bibby. Okay, Donna. Well, these books were actually kind of an assignment. I I had been trying for years to write a boarding school book because that was a very formative experience for me in India going to boarding school in the first range of the Himalayan mountains. And, uh, you know, I tried, I don't know how many different versions of uh, this idea. And um, so I was, I had really given up on it. I had thrown it in the wastebasket and said, no, no more. I'm, I'm going to do something completely different. I, um, I didn't even write. I went through a nonverbal phase, but um, my sister, Lee Woodman, um, kept sending me little notes with stickies to put on the refrigerator that said, write that book. So I said, oh, okay, one more, one more time. So I wrote a boarding, another boarding school book. This was wandering down the same primrose path. Um, but um, instead of only uh, the school, um, the town, the nearby town started to emerge as more important. And... The the adult characters, teachers from the school, merchants from the town, and um, one day um, I, I had the schoolgirls taking a walk through the through the town, and um, they go into a fortune teller's shop, and this was just something that popped into my head out of absolutely nowhere, and there was the character fully formed with the parrot on her shoulder. Uh, it was Jana Bibi, and she uh, she was Indian, but not quite Indian. Um, and I, I I knew all sorts of uh, details about her already, that she was of Scottish descent, and she'd lived in India most of her life, and she'd been married to a missionary, and she was a violinist, and so all these things just just 
popped up and uh, along with the with the parrot who was a very um savvy parrot who knew how to address um people according to which religion they were he he knew the sikh and the and the hindu and the and the muslim greetings yeah. and uh, so that was that was that was the character and this was the book that my agent Suzanne Gluck um tried to sell and this was in uh, 2009 and mm-hmm. uh, at first first she thought oh we'll sell this quickly and then you know it was a very difficult time in publishing and and uh, people started first they said oh yeah we love it and then they drew back but um mm-hmm. Marjorie Brayman who was then the executive editor at uh the editor in chief at Holt said um oh, I think there's an idea there and if you want to write a series why don't you make the fortune teller the main character so that's basically awesome. how it happened Awesome. So, so then, how long did that take for you after you took it back and and redid it? Okay. Well, um, there wasn't any contract at that point. There uh-huh. wasn't any uh-huh. agreement. But Marjorie uh-huh. um, did call me up and she said, "This is very unusual, but um, let's just chat a while." So we chatted, uh-huh. and she said, "Here's what I liked about your your manuscript. Here's what I didn't like." She liked the characters. She liked the setting. She liked the dialogue. She hated the plot. So, oh, so anyway, that, yeah. that was. Um, and and it, actually, if if the plot's no good, you got a you got a problem. So anyway, I said, "Well, I'll think about this, and I'm going to write you a proposal." So I mm-hmm. wrote her up a proposal for five books. That, I mean, if you're nuts, you might as well really go all the way and be <laughs> really nuts. Uh-huh. So um and and then um I just I I think I sent that off through Suzanne Gluck and um there it, it what seemed like a really long time went by but it really wasn't it was about 3 weeks I think uh-huh. and uh and Suzanne got back to me and said well they want 3 books <laughs> So awesome. um, well, yeah, so you ha- you do have two more, as you said. You've got well, I do have two in the for two more, yeah, two two in the drawer at least, yeah. But anyway, so then after that, the um, the schedule was quite um, cut and dried. You know, a book a year for three years so on March first uh-huh. of every year. I had to turn in something, and um, so that's how it happened. Um, Terrific. I'm not. I must say something about Marjorie, um, who, as you may know, died in July. She was my oh, mentor and my mm-hmm. my champion and my editor, and mm. um, I, it's a terrible loss for everybody who knew her. And um, I just would like to play, pay tribute to, to Marjorie that. Brayman. <clears throat> yes. Oh. And... and as part of that tribute, may I ask you to read um, an excerpt from your most, from the third of the three books, okay. um, Emeralds Included, which, if I can mention, too, was a 2014 um, NPR select book, and it's just awesome. So if you could read a little bit of that, it would be lovely. Sure. And in fact, I did um, dedicate this book to Marjorie, too. So um, now, Jana, uh, in the first book, had um, been given a string of green beads, she thought, uh, from the Treasure Emporium in town. 
And um, it was discovered that the green beads were really emeralds. And so she's been keeping them in her sock drawer, uh, not putting them in a safety deposit box the way her son says to do. Um, but anyway, uh, she's, she she wears them to do her fortune telling, and they're sort of her her lucky her lucky emeralds. But now she's in sort of hot hot water because she's got all sorts of expenses. Her um, her son and his fiance are coming, and she fixed up the house for that, and then the messenger boy that she has semi-adopted has got private school fees, and uh, she said the time has come, she says, to cash them in. So here we go. Jack had told her to keep the jewels in a vault at the bank, but Jana hadn't taken his advice. She figured she'd never wear them if she had to fetch and return them every time. Nor did she padlock the cupboard very often, since this made putting laundry away inconvenient. Now she fished way back in the Almira behind a stack of socks and got out a long, slim jewelry box. Inside, on black velvet, twinkled the emerald necklace and earrings. Holding the necklace up to the light, she saw that every stone was a little different from the one next to it. Quirks of nature... They were not the uniform and predictable products of some assembly line. So reluctantly, she puts them in her satchel and goes downtown and gets admitted to this jewelry store where there are guards and it's all pretty fancy. And the owner's name is Mr. Shaw. So here she goes meeting Mr. Shaw. Jana had heard via the grapevine that Mr. Shaw was from a prominent New Delhi jewelry family that also had a store in London's Hatton Garden. Now she believed the gossip. Every aspect of his dress spelled worldly success. The expensive-looking jacket, the immaculate trousers, the Swiss watch, the ruby ring, and the highly polished Italian shoes. With his calm, assured demeanor and his observant gaze, he was at the same time charismatic and intimidating. He led her back through the mysterious right-hand door into a room full of wonders. Looking around at the glass wall cases, Jana felt utterly dazzled. Her head swam with ornate gold necklaces, ruby pendant earrings, and sapphire brooches in the shape of birds and flowers. Artful lighting brought out the fire and sparkle of each gem and made the gold settings glow like honey. The hushed atmosphere suggested that further riches waited in unseen vaults. "'What may I show you today?' asked Mr. Shaw. "'Perhaps you were thinking of having something made to order. "'Many of our customers themselves design very beautiful things. "'We always make them up precisely to specifications.' "'Well, she's having a little trouble because she doesn't really want to admit "'that she's here to pawn her emeralds, not to buy anything else.' So anyway, she brings them out, and here we are again with Mr. Shaw. Mr. Shaw had taken a jeweler's loop from his pocket and was peering through it with increased concentration. The settings are worn, he said, but the stones have life and personality. Of course, they're full of inclusions. Inclusions, asked Jana. Flaws. You see the little bubbles and lines? As Mr. Shaw talked, Jana became convinced that the little bubbles did indeed bring the stones to life. 
making them like champagne instead of ordinary table wine. Emeralds, Mr. Shaw mused, are very much like human beings. Perfection is virtually impossible. They they are full of little zigs and zags and cracks and extraneous matter. That's true of emeralds more than of other gems, because they are born from violent geologic struggle. Chromium and vanadium come to the rescue to give them that characteristic green color, but other materials find their way in. Jana listened raptly in the grip of Mr. Shah's erudition. Both the Romans and the ancient Hindus believed that emeralds had healing powers. They thought they were good for eyesight as well as for fidelity and love, good health, and general well-being. Plus, traditionally, they're thought to assist in childbirth. Well, I'm rambling. Do you wish me to clean these pieces or to appraise them for insurance purposes? Or would you like them copied in another stone, rubies perhaps? The time had come. Jana steeled herself and took a deep breath. Then she said, I came to ask if I could leave them with you in safekeeping for a small amount of cash for a limited time. I'd come back for them very quickly. I see, said Mr. Shaw. You are here for a loan. Yes, that's right. She was grateful he'd said it first. Sympathy streamed from Mr. Shaw's dark eyes. Even very well-situated people have occasional cash flow problem. He paused, then said, We can handle such a request. So any of the way, um, the emeralds get pass out of her hands for a while. That's lovely. I'm so, I'm so glad you chose that excerpt. Um, uh, and also, I, I, I saw that one of the reviews, one of the wonderful reviews for, for your books, which are in Kirkus and Booklist, et cetera, uh, one came from the co-founder of the Jaipur Literature Festival. And right. I know that Jaipur is the center of gems. I was in India a couple of years ago. And, uh, and Jaipur, I was wondering if, if you had been to the Jaipur Literary Festival at all. or I haven't. I covered, I mean, I, um, you know, I watched it from afar here, uh-huh, you know, uh, uh-huh. followed it. Um, but I would love to go to that. That is a big event. Yes, well, maybe one one year soon. So yeah, um, that would that be fun? <laughs> yeah, and your writing again just is so like India itself. It's so full of color and spice and and detail. Wonderful descriptions. Um, and and as you mentioned, you you did spend um, years in India growing up, and and you right. have a good memory of of these things. Did you write down? Um, uh, things while well, you were there as well, or um, I did keep a diary in about eighth grade, and I. Um, but you know how um, adolescents are, sort of in one day in a, in a fit of, um, you know, self hatred. I tore it up, and I'm really mad at myself uh, now. You know, don't let don't mm-hmm. let kids tear up their diaries. Although you can't yeah. you can't uh, watch them and make and see what they're doing and prevent it. But um, no, yeah. what 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 the reason? Uh, well, where does my knowledge of India come from? <clears throat> A lot of it is from the childhood impressions, and some of those are just so vivid. Um, you know, they're just stamped on my mind, and things like the the climate very. The you know baking heat in New Delhi and uh, warm uh, humid uh, seaside in Chennai, and then cold and rainy and um, 
really difficult up in the mountains where we went to school. So there were a lot of extremes mm. of weather. And then the smells. I mean, the first time I went back to India mm. as an adult, um, I could smell the smell of burning cow dung from the plane. Now, this doesn't sound, yeah. this doesn't sound like a good smell, but it actually is. I, I mean, it's a smell that I love. That You don't smell it anymore. That was back in the 80s when I smelled that. But when I went in the 90s and then again in 2013, um, no, you don't smell that anymore because that's out loud, outlawed in outlawed, um, cities. Uh-huh. In the cities, uh-huh. but it, it but it was used as cooking fuel. It was a very evocative smell. It's kind of a clean smell, oddly enough. Surprisingly, so, yeah, huh. yeah. But that's something that really, you know, people who are, um, well, <laughs> several years younger than 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 I am would not. Would not think about it. Would not recognize really as being um, as uh, particularly, yeah, evocative, right? But um, I mean, the monuments are still there. Uh, They are very, very much, um, you know, the same. Actually, spiffed up quite a lot. Um, And um, the 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 town that you created, I just wanted to mention it. It's it's, uh, if I'm mispronouncing it, please let me know. Hamada Naga. That's um, good, Donna. That's okay, close. Well, good. Okay, and uh, it means our town. It translates to our town. Um, yes, that's uh, a little. That's a little joke, you know. For uh-huh. it's a bringing, we're bringing um, New Hampshire to India because the the it's the name of the Thornton Wilder play. Yeah, that takes place in Peterborough, New Hampshire. Right, yeah. and all of all the different types of people that live in one town. Right. Right, right. Um, but I have to. I have to. No, I was going to say I have to um, mention, uh, you know, where I got a lot of the other material, though, too, because I mean, the childhood material was not enough by by any means, um, and so I I did, you know, a huge amount of research, and uh, ironically, you can find out more from your desk about 1960s India today than I could have if I had been trying to do it oh, 10 or 15 years later after, you know, in the 70s yeah. or, or 80s or 90s. Just because of the Internet, um, I could get Hindi movies, just as many as I wanted, and I just saturated myself in the in the cinema, and old newsreels, um, archival stuff, uh, individual people's photograph albums, which they put on Flickr or whatever. So there was just this enormous trove of material. Mm-hmm. We are sort of living in the um, golden age of research because we've got the paper stuff still, and we've got the electronic stuff, and wow. uh, we just have so much to draw on. Yeah, and it's it's almost, in a way, the golden age of India as well. With I'm thinking of um, exotic marigold hotels, certainly, and then the show Indian Summers. Is that that anywhere near uh, have um, you seen that? I've seen both. I'm, I'm watching Indian Summers, and I'm, mm-hmm. and I did see both okay. Marigold Hotel. Yeah, movies. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm a t- total junkie. If um, if there's something with with Indian content, I <laughs> I grab it. Yeah. So I would think Jana Bibby and her her uh, her parrot would be wonderful movie material as well. Um, so I'll hope that happens down the road too. Um, I hope it does too. I, yeah. Um, the 
one of the reasons that I've specifically, there were several reasons I wanted to have you on to try to talk, but one was that it's fascinating all the different people who are in the town of Hamada Naga and all the different faiths, um, yeah. Muslims, Sikhs, um, right. Christians, all, and I wondered if, uh, and I also, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how that played out in your experience living there, um, uh-huh. And and then I have one follow up question to that too that um, okay. that I actually saw on your website on your little uh, on your et cetera handout which is fun to read. Um, how does religion affect the characters' lives? Right, right. Um, well, I I think growing up as a child, we uh, I was always very aware of the diversity of of people around us. I mean, we had best friends who were Sikhs, who were Hindus, who were Christians. Uh, my um, best friend at, in, at 10 years old was a little Muslim girl. Um, so it, this was just um, normal. Uh, it was, we, we took it for granted, really. And um, I grew up in the 50s, and things were, uh, I was thinking about this, uh, things were fairly harmonious as far as you know, um, relations between the different ethnic groups. They had had this terrible upheaval of partition of India into India and Pakistan, where there, uh, where where millions of uh, people had to go east or west, depending on which side of the border they were on, and uh, there were many, many deaths. Um, but in the 50s, this was much more, um, things were much calmer, um, and um, so we sort of took it for granted that people could get along, actually, and live together. Um, and, and and I got a um, you know I get fan mail saying um, you know this is this is wonderful, but it's fiction, and you know um, I, I I wish people really could be this nice. Well, uh, I think nowadays there's an, an awful lot of tension um and um there uh you know there is apt, apt to these these incidents of um hindu and muslim um violence but really that is not the norm across history you know the the norm is more people living cheek by jowl, jowl and managing to get along mhm mhm it's very encouraging and uplifting to read about it, and they're just wonderful um, characters. Um, and, and you mentioned the parrot being able to, uh, Mr. Ganguly, Ganguly yes, um, yes, being able to address each of them in the proper way, depending on their face. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, does um, did you find that? As you, well, actually, let me let me skip ahead to one other question here. That if you can tell us a little bit, you've mentioned researching on the internet, and um, uh, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about your daily life as a writer and your process. Oh, daily life as a writer. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, when I'm um, when I've got a full head of steam up, um, it's pretty much the same every day it's you know get up and make tea and have some breakfast and sit down at the computer and and work in the morning and then go do laps in the pool and then you know grocery shopping and then come back and and maybe read a little bit more about the you know do a little more research 
for the book and um and then and that's it and that's pretty much it day after day um the mm-hmm. uh i now i'm in more of a reading um situation so i i'm not um sitting and typing yet but um i am you know i'm working working on the stuff the, the mornings are the best time um, but I have uh-huh. some thoughts about um, process and all that uh, I've learned over the three years of writing the three Jana books that um, basically a lot of the times it doesn't feel very inspired or very creative. Um, you know, I, I I always outline very, very um, deep, deep in a detailed way. Um, and I, uh, not, I don't follow the outline necessarily, I, uh, but at least it gives a scaffolding um, so I don't get panicky when I sit down in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, I just, uh, after, after maybe 95% of the book is done, all of a sudden I start getting my best ideas so you know the sort right. of the, you do all the do all the work and you um plot away and then you know you just sort of have to trust that the magic will come and yeah. um the fact that it doesn't come until about 95% of the way through that is just, that's the way it's happened three times in a row so i'm beginning to think that's more than coincidence so then you would go back and and do a, a revision then or? oh yes or oh, add, yeah. or completely rewrite, or or add things, or I'm well, this, it's there. There would still be another draft to do after the, at that point, anyway. But I do mm-hmm. a lot of drafts anyway. Mm-hmm. And do you share your work with other readers before you? I share it with my sister Lee Woodman. She is my first reader, and I'm hers. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a poet, and we mm-hmm. have been working together since we were maybe twelve and ten years old on creative things. And uh, yeah. I, I thought I that can't... you used to do plays with your sister. Yes, in India. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, she as she reads the first drafts and and oh I I don't know how she can stand it but she reads the you know the next draft and the next draft and and um, really it's uh, it's we just have a great partnership. That's great. That's good. Um, and you mentioned to me that you're working on a book now about uh, World War One or two. It one one. It's um, okay. set in New set in New Hampshire and in France, and it's um, huh? dur- during the World War Two era, uh, maybe a little bit before and a little bit afterwards as well. So yeah, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm reading right now. I'm reading a lot of classic World War One memoirs and getting a sense of, you know what. Uh, what what it was like in the trenches, um, uh-huh. and at the same time, um, I'm reading the oh, uh, local newspapers from the period um, from towns around here, and I sort of get the feel for the peacetime um, uh, routines and like what was going on. Yeah, yeah, on the home front, right, right, uh-huh. and then um, a lot of um, a lot of American. Um, Kids, they were really young. Would go over to France and and fight with either the British or the French. So I thought that that was a good sort of plot opportunity to um, to have some New Hampshire 
kid go over and do that. And maybe work in um, some of the hello girls who were the um, uh, telephone operators. And they, oh. uh, yeah, they they were um, um, young women who were bilingual in French and English. And there were two two sort of uh, strata of people who sent um, hello girls. One was um, a highly educated young woman who had gone to college and learned French as a, in school, and then the French Canadians who um, had uh, who were working class in um, in New Hampshire anyway, and they but they they had the linguistic skills, so they got to go too. So that, uh, that struck me as interesting, and I I, yeah. I think I have two at least two characters coming out of that kind of uh, situation. Great, good. Well, I'll look forward to to this when it's ready too. So, um, and do you have any readings from from uh, the Jana Bibby books coming up soon, or anything that we should be looking for? I I don't have something in the very close future. Um, okay. I I. I will be scheduling things, and um, the schedule is on my website, which is www.betsywoodman.com. And uh, um, I have a blog, so you can sort of think of what I'm, <laughs> see what I'm thinking about. Um, and yeah, I, I also, I really, recomm- I really recommend that any writers who are listening go to your website because it's a very interesting look into um, the development of the three Dan and Bibby novels and, and certainly what you're working on now and uh, very informative and fun website. Um, so, and I have to say again, uh, uh, Emeralds Un- Included especially was just one of the most enjoyable novels I've read in such a long time. And, oh, thank um, you. So, as I mentioned earlier, Elizabeth Berg has, has written one of the one of the rave reviews and said that instead of a therapist, read read about Jana Bibby, who's <laughs> a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful main character, and I would echo that. So um, I urge people to go buy the books, and I look forward to reading the next one, Betsy, and I really thank you for being with us tonight. So congratulations, and thank you. Well, Donna, thank you. It was an honor and a pleasure for me. Good. Well, we'll be in touch, and um, I'm going to thank you so much. I'll talk to you again. I'm going to go ahead and play our closing here. We could talk on and on, but um, we'll talk again, all right? Thank you so much, Betsy. Okay. Bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's Tefera Talk interview. The show will be archived and accessible for later listening on our website at www.teferritjournal.com. You're invited to join our global community of writers and to subscribe to our literary magazine, Teferit Journal. In the meantime, all of us at Teferit wish you and the world a meaningful and creative peace. May we all embody Teferit in our lives, a loving heart, wise compassion, and an expansive reconciliation of opposites.